Alright folks, I got a special one for you today. It's called The Secret Oral Teachings in Tibetan Buddhist Sect by Alexandra David Neal and Lama Yongden. Forward by Alan Watts. It's uh, City Lights Books Publishing, 1967. I will uh, uh, put the link to the PDF version of this book. It's on their website, I think. Alright, so... This is very interesting because... <laughs> this translation from the French, originally published by the Mahabodhi Society in Calcutta in 1964, has been reviewed by the author for this first City Lights edition. This is what I'm saying, man. Life works in the Funny ways, man. Alright. Foreword by Alan Watts. For several, for several years, I've, I have referred to this hitherto rare and inaccessible work as the I Told You So book because it has often been implied that I have invented my explanations of Buddhism out of thin air, thus falsifying its authentic teachings. Madame Alexandra ne David Neal is a French woman now, in 1967, 100 years old, who has traveled and studied extensively in Tibet, who adopted the lately deceased Lama Yongden as her son, and who has recorded her experiences in such romantically t entitled works as Initiations and Initiates in Tibet, and Mystics and Magicians in Tibet, both of which first appeared in English translation in 1931. I gotta read these books. <laughs> the present volume has a similarly, similarly esoteric title, re reminiscent of the fantasies of H.P. Blavatsky, Talbot Mundy, James Hilton, and Lobsang Rampa, who, with a very superficial knowledge of Tibetan Buddhism, have given us an image of Tibet as the secret stronghold of the most mysterious and adept masters of the occult and magical sciences, depicting the high-ranking Buddhist monks or lamas as super technicians in the exercise of psychic powers far beyond the reach of ordinary mortals. Yet, despite the occultist flavor of its title, the secret oral teachings in the Tibetan Buddhist sects is the most direct, no-nonsense, and down-to-earth explanation of Mahayana Buddhism, which has thus far been written. Specifically, it is a wonderfully lucid account of the Madhyamika, or Middle Way, school of Buddhism, a method of meditation and enlightenment which has worked out some time between 150 which was worked out sometime between 150 and 250 AD by the great Indian sage and pundit Nagarjuna. More detailed and scholarly studies of this method may be found in T.R.V. Murthy's Central Philosophy of Buddhism, Allen and Unwin, London, 1955 and in Edward Conzi's marvelous translations of the Prajna Paramita literature published by the, the Buddhist Society of London, 
Madam David Neal, however, writes for the non-academic student who wants simply to practice and experience this method as a way of overcoming the hang-ups, klesa, which follow from the illusion that one is, in fact, an individual ego, separate from the eternal and inconceivable ground of all existence. It is especially important for Westerners to understand that high lamas, Zen masters, and Hindu gurus in the discipline of yoga are human beings, not supermen. We must not put them as we have put Jesus Christ on pedestals of reverence so high that we automatically exclude ourselves from their states of consciousness. Man may have potentialities of all kinds for the, psych for the psychotechnology of clairvoyance, telekinesis, precognition, and telep telepathy. Tel telepathy. The American way to say it. Not to mention epi, epipathy, catapathy, apopathy, and peripathy. Power games of this kind are not, however, the main concern of Tibetan Buddhism. And I love that he said power games because that is exactly what a debate is. It's just dick measuring. On the contrary, the point is to realize that by virtue of what you always are, have been, and will be, there is no need whatsoever to defend yourself or prove yourself. Sausalito, California, August 1967. Okay, the, the way I look at debate now, because whenever I watch debates, usually, it's just two sides just, you know, just defending their <laughs> perspectives. That's it. It's a fencing, it's a fucking fencing match. It's like the the video game, The Secret of Monkey Island, the, the, the Secret Treasure of Monkey Island. It's a very old game, but it's like, it's, it was like you would, you would have to fence and you would have to like do these word, it's like almost, it's like while you are fencing, you pick what cuss phrase, so to say, <laughs> you want to say to the guy. It's, and that's what I look at debate like as... And, and or even like, you know, rapping nowadays. It's just who can give the better diss. I mean, that's fine. It's all good. It's all, you know, it's, it's, it's entertaining. But like, that's, that's what, that's why, you know, at the end of this, he says, on the contrary, the point is to realize that by virtue of what you always are, have been, and will be, there is no need whatsoever to defend yourself or prove yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll get it, man. You'll see when you see it. Alright, uh, let's continue. I'm just gonna just jump in. Okay. The Secret Oral Teachings in Tibetan Buddhist Sects. Chapter 1. It is a long time since the idea of writing this book occurred to me. One fine summer afternoon, I had explained my plan to a learned Tibetan who led a life of contemplation in a little house on the rocky side of a mountain... He was not encouraging. <laughs> Waste of time, he said. The great majority of readers and hearers are the same all over the world. I have no doubt that the people of your country are like those I have met in China and India, and these latter were just like Tibetans. If you speak to them of profound truths, they yawn, and if they dare, they leave you. But if you tell them absurd fables, they are all eyes and ears. Sounds like Jesus. 
They wish the doctrines preached to them, whether religious, philosophic, or social, to be agreeable, to be consistent with their conceptions, to satisfy their inclinations. In fact, they find themselves in them and that they feel themselves approved by them. The master had nothing to teach me on this point. Hundreds of times in the West, I had heard men and women express the desire to find a religion which would satisfy them, or had seen reject a doctrine with the remark, It does not satisfy me. I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> what then was that something that wanted to be agreeably caressed, satisfied? It was the collection of false notions, of unreasonable propensities, of feelings, of a rudimentary sensuality which is disguised under the appearance of a puppet named I. <laughs> I thought then of the devotees who intoxicate themselves with incense and the stirring sonorousness of the organ in the half-shadows of our cathedrals, believing themselves to be on the way to spiritual heights. I thought of all those, whatever might be the religion or secular, secular faith to which they belong, who thrill at the sound of certain names, of certain words, which are but empty noises, devoid of reality. In general, continued the Master, we distinguish three kinds of individuals, those whose intelligence is completely dull. This is, uh, I would say, what was it from? Snatch? You cannot underestimate the predictability of stupidity, okay? <laughs> okay? Those whose intelligence is of average quality, able to understand some truths which are specially evident. Those endowed with an intelligence better equipped for acute perceptions, who are fit to penetrate below the surface of the world, of physical phenomena and grasp the causes which are at work there. It is enough to direct the attention to these last, to say to them, look, from this point of view, consider that, and they perceive what is to be perceived there, where they have been told to look. It's like uh, Bruce Lee, the, the, the scene where he points to the moon, he tells the kid to look at the moon, the kid looks at the moon, he smacks the kid, and he says, don't look at my finger. <laughs> if unless you miss the whole what glory of the moon, beauty and splendor of the moon it's the same thing one may proclaim on the high road the teachings considered secret they will remain secret for the individuals with dull minds who will hear what is said to them and will grasp nothing of it but the sound it is not on the master that the secret depends but on the hearer a master can only be he who opens the door is for the disciple to be capable of seeing what lies beyond. Teachers exist who are able to discern the degree of intellectual acuteness of those who desire their teaching, and they, and they reserve the detailed explanation of certain doctrines for those whom they judge able to understand them. It is thus that the deep teachings transmitted orally from master to disciple for many generations have been passed on and preserved from oblivion good movie you have heard them do with them as you think fit they are very simple but like a powerful battering ram they run counter to the wall of false ideas rooted in the mind of man 
and the emotions which delight him, casting him into suffering. Try! That's what it says. It's a try exclamation point. Okay. Then I remembered what the ancient Buddhist texts tell us about the hesitation of the Buddha before beginning his mission. I have discovered a profound truth, difficult to perceive, difficult to understand, accessible only to the wise. Human beings busy themselves in the vortex of the world and find their, their pleasure. It will be difficult for men to understand the law of the con concaten... Okay, this word is interesting. Concatenation of causes and effects. The suppression of the samskaras. Of what use to reveal to men that which I have discovered at the price of laborious efforts? Why should I do so? This doctrine cannot be understood by those filled by desire and hatred. It is a mysterious deep hidden from the vulgar mind. If I, if I proclaim it and men are unable to understand it, the only result will be fatigue and annoyance for me. And as he thought thus, the Venerable One felt inclined to remain quiet without preaching the doctrine. The, do the doctrine. At this point, the texts the, with Oriental imagination tell of the intervention, intervention of a god, Brahma Sahampati, who put, who put into words the thoughts springing up in the mind of the Buddha. It's basically a translator of Buddha's mind. Brahma Sam Sahampati exhorts the Buddha to conquer his hesitation. May the also this whole this this part this whole part sounds like the book of Job, you know. May the venerable one preach the doctrine. There are beings whose spiritual eyes are hardly darkened by light dust. Dust. Where's the dust coming from? These will understand the doctrine. In the land of Magadha, a false doctrine has prevailed up to the present, elab elaborated by men whose minds were contaminated by ignorance. It says in quotations, I mean in, in brackets. Now open to them the gate of immortality, literally of the deathless, again in brackets. Arise, O victorious one, travel throughout the world, O chief of pilgrims, beings who wander in the round of successive births and deaths. There are some who will understand thee. Then the Buddha cast a supremely clairvoyant look over the world. He saw some beings whose spiritual eyes were hardly covered by thin dust. He saw some whose minds were keen and others whose minds were dull. Just as in a pond among lotus flowers born in the water, some do not emerge from the water and bloom in the depths, others grow to the surface of the water, and others emerge from the water, and the water does not wet their flowers. So the Buddha, casting his eyes on the world, saw some beings whose minds were pure from the filth of the world, Beings with keen minds and others with dull minds. Beings of noble character, good listeners and bad. When he had seen these things, he spoke to Brahma Sahampati, saying, 
Let the gate of the eternal be open to all. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. Yeah, it's all the same fucking story. Um, Abraham talking to God about about Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, well, what if there's only 50 people? What if there's there's 40? What if, like, believers or, 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 or uh, yeah, who still believed in that God. It's, it's all the same thing. It's volcanoes, water lilies, and shamans. Prophets, seers, the same thing. Right here, just as in a pond among lotus flowers born in the water. It's all volcanoes, guys. It's all volcanoes. I doubt whether the divine Brahma Sahampati judged me worthy of his intervention. Nevertheless, I have ventured to apply to myself the advice which he once gave to the great sage of India, and depending also on the permission which was given me on the threshold of a Tibetan hermitage, I shall attempt to summarize this collection of theories and precepts named Sangwa, the secret mystical doctrine closely bound up with the idea of Lang Tong, transcendent insight. The teachings of all the masters who left nothing written, and even those of the numerous masters whose authentic works we possess, have always given rise to the interpretation to developments which in some cases have added to and brought out the significance of the original doctrine, and in others have falsified the initial meaning. I have said elsewhere that an account of the Buddhist doctrine can be given on two pages, and I have in fact given. Wait, 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 wait what? I have said elsewhere that an account of the Buddhist doctrine can be given on two pages, and I have in fact given in tabular form covering two pages the fundamental teaching of Buddhism. All schools of Buddhism, without exception, accept them and take them as the basis of what they consider legitimate developments and interpretations of them. To discuss this legitimacy is not always easy. The Buddha insisted strongly on the necessity of examining the Buddha insisted strongly on the necessity of examining the propositions put forward by him and of understanding them personally before accepting them as true. The ancient texts leave no doubt on this point. Quote, Do not believe on the strength of traditions, even if they have been held in honor for many generations and in many places. This is the Buddha saying this. Do not believe anything because many people speak of it. Do not believe on the strength of sages of old times. Do not believe that which you have yourselves imagined, thinking that a god has inspired you. Believe nothing which depends only on the authority of your masters or of priests. After investigation, believe that which you have yourselves tested and found reasonable, and which is for your good and that of others. This sounds like like the fucking Bible, man. Like, <laughs> like uh, Paul or something. Elsewhere, after conversing with some of his disciples, the Buddha concluded, If now you understand thus and see thus, you will say, We honor the Master, and it is out of respect for him that we speak thus. We shall not do so. 
what you say, O disciples, is it not only that which you have yourselves recognized, yourselves understood, it is exactly that, venerable. Okay. During the centuries, subtle Indian and Chinese philosophers have largely availed themselves of the freedom of thought and interpretation which was allowed them. They have used it with skill and we have profited by the stories of astonishing contests of polemics. Um, <laughs> Alright. The Tibetans did not fail to imitate them, and one can recognize in their guarded oral teachings an interesting conjunction of Indian philosophy and the special mentality of the yellow races. On the other hand, the best informed contemporary adepts of the sect of meditation dhyana called San in China and Zen in Japan readily agree that their doctrine is Buddhism understood by the minds of the yellow race. This admixture of different mentalities has left in the Buddhism of secret teachings in Tibet a special quality of transcendent rationalism, a strict intellectual equilibrium, which completely differentiates it from the popular religion, as also from the emotional mysticism of certain Mahayanist schools. It is evident that the great majority of those who call themselves Buddhists have not been able to rise to the mental level of the teaching of the Buddha. Most of them have built up for their own use various kinds of Buddhism which are anything but Buddhist and in their ignorance they uphold often with bitterness their belief and their absurd practices as the expression of the purest orth orthodoxy. Yeah, it's, it's all a facade. The more intelligent see clearly the illogicality of these varieties of Buddhism, but they submit to them, accepting them as an indispensable concession made to the mental weakness of the mass, and because they wish to group a mass of individuals under a label which does not suit them. A very learned Japanese who shows a very special indul indulgence may, I say, a tenderness toward these degenerate forms of Buddhism, express himself thus. We may sometimes ignore the claims of reason and rest satisfied, though usually unconsciously with assertions which are conflicting when critically examined, but we cannot disregard by any means those of the religious sentiment which finds satisfaction only in the very fact of things. If it ever harbored some flagrant contradiction in the name of faith, it was because its ever-pressing demands had to be met with even at the expense of reason. Alright, elsewhere the same author wrote, The inflexibility of karma is more than poor mortal can endure. That is possible. That is probably true of most of those about us. But but who compels these weak-minded people to call themselves Buddhists? Is it not open to them to attach themselves to other doctrines which offer them tales apt to flatter their sentimental tendencies? 
In so doing, they need not fear any eternal damnation, but only the distressing momentary accidents, which the mistakes they commit in their physical and mental activity, their deeds and thoughts may bring upon them. The Tibetan masters who pass on the traditional oral tradition teachings repeat insistently the fact that these teachings are for the use of individuals in the Rab category, R-A-B category. That is to say, endowed with superior and excellent intelligence, the lotus whose flowers grow above the level of the water, according to the picturesque comparison coded above. The object of these teachings is not to amuse the simple-minded, those charitably called in the Tibetan scriptures the children, like Paul said, no more milk, no more milk, we, we need meat. Uh, when I was a child, I talked and walked like a child. When I became a man, yeah, this is the children. It is meant for the strong to make them stronger, for the intelligent to make them more intelligent, for the shrewd to develop their shrewdness, <laughs> and to lead them to the possession of transcendent insight. Lagtong. I mean, I, I have no idea how to pronounce that, but it's L. H A G. I'm assuming that's lag, and then T H O N G tongue, which constitutes the real enlightenment. It is for such reasons that the explanation of the doctrines and methods which make up this corpus of teachings is reserved for a certain class of disciples, and this fact has caused it to be called secret. This Buddhism of a Tibetan elite is genuinely of Buddhist inspiration and dates from the most brilliant period of Buddhist philosophy. Its teachings are considered to be traditional, having been handed down from master to disciple in an uninterrupted line. Also, another thing I found about Tibet is look up um, the towers in in Tibet, China. Well, it's, it's part of China now, but it's uh, pretty interesting. These towers, these big-ass towers are all over the in, in the Himalayas. And I don't know, if you read, if, if you listen to the audiobook version of Psalms, it's, there's some, some, cha some chapters that where he talks about taking refuge in the tower. The Lord is the mighty tower. And... And it's just interesting how those towers work. People still don't know why they're there, what they're there for. I mean, when I was watching that, it made me think of... Uh, so basically, it was like when they were... When the town or village or whatever was getting attacked, everyone from the village would go into the, into the tower and defend themselves from the tower. And that made me think of Age of Empires. Or, um, you know, Psalms. Or Rapunzel. Or... All, all kinds of stuff with towers. I mean, I mean, plus look up the history of towers. It's it's incredible. It's it's how they built it. It's these uh, six-sided, five-sided, whatever star-shaped towers, and it's 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 like a sacred geometry. The Israel flag has that star, five, I think five or six-sided star, and it's you look at those towers, you're like, wait a minute, like. These fuckers knew sacred geometry, and they, they, they knew how to build these crazy towers. Okay, anyways. Um, hmm, where was I? 
Those initiated in the secret teachings declare that these latter do not spring from a supernatural revelation, but are the fruit of intellectual and spiritual investigations made by men who also combined with them investigations on the material plane. On this point, the advantage given to us by the data supplied by modern science is worth noting, an advantage helping us to understand the theories put forward by the secret teachings. The men who thought of these latter must have been endowed with superior faculties of understanding. They possessed transcendent insight, lagtong. Although the mystical personage Dorji Chang is often named at the head of the list of those who transmitted the teachings, he is there in a symbolic sense insomuch as he is the bearer of the magic scepter, the Dorji representing the power conferred by the traditional teachings. Even if some people may be tempted to consider Dorji Chang as a real person, disseminator of special doctrines, none would venture to suggest that he was the author of such teachings. The attainment of transcendent insight is the real object of the training advocated in the traditional oral teachings, which do not consist, as so many imagine, in teaching certain things to the pupil in revealing to him certain secrets, but rather in showing him the means to learn them and discover them for himself. I agree. I, I think the best teachers are the ones who, who teach you how to use your own skills and talents to, you know, to, to, to teach your own damn self. Like, for me, I think the best class I ever took in college was CLSD, the College Learning and Strategies class. Well, first of all, first of all, because I had to, but I think that I, if in the end, I think that was the best class I ever took because it taught me how to just be a better, um, just yeah, just it taught me how to learn better, teach myself better, how to research, investigate. Okay. The masters of the secret teachings say that the truth learned from another is of no value, and that. The only truth which is living and effective, which is of value, is the truth which we ourselves discover. I agree. It doesn't matter how well I can explain shit, and un unless you get it, you it doesn't matter. You have to see it for yourself. Okay. If this were not the case, it would be enough for us to read the innumerable works in which philosophers, savants, and doctors of the different religions have explained their views and to choose from among them one which agrees with our own ideas and to which we can cleave. That's all it is. It's like we find something we can relate to and then boom, okay, yeah. But this that doesn't work either. You gotta make your own way because you are a unique individual and you gotta make your own way. This is what is done by most of these individuals whom the Tibetans classify in the intermediate category of the average-minded. This stage would, this stage should be surmounted. It is not enough to see with eyes, which, according to the words used in Buddhist texts, are only covered with a thin film of dust. However, however thin this film may be, I guess it's like Maya. It is a question of removing the last trace of dust, which interferes with sight. Literally, lagtong means to see more, to see beyond, to see extremely, supremely. 
thus not only to see more than that which is seen by the mass of mankind who are crassly ignorant, but to see beyond the bounds limiting the vision of cultivated minds, to bring into being the third eye of knowledge which the adepts of tantric sects place in the center of the forehead of their symbolic gods.